0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is
1: why we're here. This
0: is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me as always is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, draft week is upon us. How are you doing, my friend, this evening?
1: I am slowly but surely saving and conserving energy. Not, not like we all are and probably on some <laughs> level, but, but conserving energy for, I guess, I guess I want to tell you like the most exciting sport moment of the last two months, arguably. I mean, the, the most exciting sport moment of the last two months. I am just gearing up Mr. Perticchese for the draft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's upon us. You know, we've had on
0: tremendous guests. If you've missed any of the shows recently, please, you know, go back and listen to them. Sig Bloom, Matt Wallman, Graham Barfield. We did the you know, the Dynasty Rookie Mock Draft. We had people, a uh, great guest on, Danny Kelly. I mean, the list goes on and on. We've been providing coverage, hopefully, as a welcome distraction. Again, you know, our best to everybody and their loved ones. Hopefully, everyone is practicing social distancing, staying safe and healthy during these crazy times, and using the NFL Draft and all the great coverage that's out there, you know, from our podcast to so many other podcasts out there, stuff on TV, you know, uh, other podcast coverages you know radio coverages there's so much out there on the nfl draft hopefully it's been a welcome distraction to people who are fans of the nfl fans of the nfl draft fans of college football and i know for myself it's been a welcome distraction to to get away from the norm so tonight's our final ranking show we've been talking about these guys since last summer we you know divulged our rankings, you know, last July and August. And we've been watching these guys for another whole season. You know, the pre-draft process, a little bit different this year, which, you know, kind of true more to me and you is more based on just the film. You know, we didn't have all that extra noise and 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 pro days and stuff like that to even kind of potentially seep in a little bit. We had the combine and then things pretty much shut down. So so let's get right into it, Matt. Let's start with the quarterbacks. You know, take us through the the top of your quarterbacks. Maybe just straight list who your guys are, and then maybe I'll find a question or two based on your rankings that I want to pose to you about them.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's pretty much chalk. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's really going to differentiate that much from you know most people out there. I mean, I have Tua Tagovailoa at number one. I have Joe Burrow at number two. I have followed by Justin Herbert and Jake Fromm. Who, to be honest with you, I'm still jostling back and forth. So as of this moment, this episode, <laughs> those two seem to be in that order, uh, and Jordan Love coming in at number five. So those are my really my top five, and then after that, obviously. It goes to the Easons and the Hertz and the Anthony Gordon's of such. So those are my main top five. And like I said, um, I, I keep jostling back between Herbert and Fromm, between the toolsy potential and then the just the just the rock solid executor of the position, which is what I think Jake Fromm is. And that's that's kind of where I am, Paul. What about you? Can wh- where do you where do you kind of sit right now? So my number one is
0: Joe Burrow, number two, I have Tua, number three, Justin Herbert, number four, Jordan Love, number five, Jalen Hurts. I did some more film study over the last month or so, and I I bumped up Jalen Hurts in my number five spot, then Jacob Eason at six, uh, Jake Fromm at seven, and then rounding out uh, my top 10, top 12 is uh, James Morgan out of FIU, Jake Luton out of Oregon State. Anthony Gordon out of Washington State, Shea Patterson out of Michigan, and Cole McDonald uh, out of Hawaii. And then obviously guys after that are like the Nate Stanley and the Steven Montez, Kevin Davidson, uh, you know, Bryce Perkins, Mason Fine. You know, Nate Stanley, I think of that group probably is a day Barree pick. He seems like the NFL likes him a little bit more uh, than maybe, you know, most uh, draft Twitter But uh, a lot of those guys, late round picks, you know, UDFA type prospects. So that's kind of my rankings. I know I had, I wanted to throw back one question for you. What is it that if you were going to pinpoint one or two things to, 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 let's keep it, uh, concise just to, and we'll head to the running backs. What is it that has to a ahead of Joe Burrow? Is it the body of work over a three year period it, compared to a one year sample really of Joe Burrow playing, you know, a high caliber of football? Is it something else on the football field? if there was one or two things? that you would say of why two is ahead of borough for you, what would it be?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a razor thin margin between the two. I mean, I think when it really comes down to it, I kind of go back and I think about, you know, where I've come in my journey kind of as an evaluator. And I think it really comes down to, you know, who do I think, you know, is really the most sensitive to the kind of the dynamics of the game as it unfolds. And who do I think has that toolbox ready to go at the highest of levels where, arguably you know even though the game may look the same the the nature of the information that the players are going to be confronted with the the speed of their opponents the tightness of coverage the different types of um, physical prowess of their opponents that they're going to be facing um as well as the dimensions of the field like all those little changes like who's going to be able to adapt the most who has that repository i think of movement skill to really put themselves over the top and and really uh, that comes down to two i think for me um in terms of his overall ability as a player and I, and i do think that there again razor thin margin between the two but when you talk about i think the most gifted mover of the two Um, out of this group, I I think two is that guy. I think he really can, you know, do everything you need, but then he's also got you know a lot of uh, just a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of movement skill that i think is going to be able to elevate him when the chips are down i think i think health is going to be a concern i do think that's something we got to make sure that we're okay with i do think that's a big hurdle for him um but i think that's really where it comes down to if i'm going to look at the game as a series of problems and i'm going to look at these players and ask myself who can solve the multitude of problems at the position I I kind of like where two is going to go overall in terms of movement skill at the position.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's a good answer because I do think he resembles a lot of a Russell Wilson type player in terms of how he moves, how he solves problems on the football field. You know, I think if he was completely healthy, it's a 1A, 1B, and you can't really mm-hmm. go wrong Absolutely. Uh, with either one of them. You know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where Tua ends up on draft night based on, you know, the lack of medical information that's been out there due to COVID-19. So I think that's going to be a fascinating thing. But I think they're both high caliber prospects, you know, two. Tua, his ball placement, his touch and anticipation are a couple of things that really just wow me uh, about him. His ability to, you know, make plays when when things break down around him. But I do think I was, you know, I was recently privileged to be on the Harris Football Podcast and we talked about Tua. You know, and we did talk about some areas of development for him is at Alabama, at times he was allowed to get away with some stuff and play a little bit of that hero ball and he's got to be smarter at the next level and realize he's not going to be able to get away with that. Like, Kyler Murray, you know, ran into that at Arizona last year and had some of that issues where things that he got away with at Oklahoma didn't translate. Same thing for Tua. And I think he will, you know, as he gets – more acclimated to the NFL Uh, you know but that's something that that I think he can and but that is something that I think you be
1: monitoring closely. Well let me ask you one question before we leave quarterback I mean obviously you had to make a statement or at least think about a little bit more in depth Jake Fromm I noticed he's moved a little bit since our last discussion Um, and I think that the you know I think it's a very he's a very polarizing figure so what was what really kind of went into that final ranking for you? I think when I took the final ranking, I I looked at it as a little bit of a
0: ceiling floor type discussion. And while I think he could be a high caliber backup to a, functional starting quarterback Jake Fromm. I look at a guy like Jacob Easton with the bigger arm talent and say, "You know what? If he was in the right scheme, the right setup, you know, a vertical base passing offense, he might have a higher ceiling. Maybe he could be a Joe Flacco. You know, and and for whatever people want to knock Joe Flacco, he's won the Super Bowl, he's been to the playoffs a lot. So I I almost look at a guy like Jacob Easton and say, "Okay, maybe he can be a Joe Flacco type." You know, And he can have some success. I'm not saying he's going to win a Super Bowl or anything. But I think that's a comparable comp for Jacob Eason. Where I think Jake Fromm maybe is a little bit less than that. We talked with Waldman listen, there's a scenario where he could become Kirk Cousins or Alex Smith. I think that's the higher end of the ceilings. So I think, you know, Jacob Eason, I thought, you know, maybe there was a little bit more upside there overall and a, a better chance at reaching that upside, I should say. Because if it's Alex Smith or, or or Joe Flacco, I'd rather Alex Smith. But I think there might be a greater chance for Jacob Eason to be a Joe Flacco type than there is for Jake Fromm to be an Alex Smith. And then in terms of Jalen Hurts, I just like the growth and development I started this year. And speaking of movement skills and problem solving skills, I think Jalen Hurts just finds a way to get the job done. I was impressed with the growth and development from a guy who I didn't even think was a quarterback prospect, you know, when the summer rolled around. And now I legitimately think he's a day two quarterback and has a chance. What if an offense? It's created for his skill set, could be a starter in this league. I'm intrigued by that, so that was that was kind of how I ended up differentiating between that because that's that's been my only movement. you know since you know the end of the college football season, it was Burrow, it was to a Herbert Love that has stayed locked in, but there was some movement there in my five six seven spot.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what? And I think that's all fair. And I think that when you really think about what you said about Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm, I think you're spot on. I think, I think we had to take the totality of everything that was going on with these players. And I think that for the first time outside of really Joe Burrows and Tua Tagovailoa, I don't really think that there's, there's much. A, I think there's a massive gap between them and the next tier. I really don't see. That next tier really being anywhere near as prepared as those two. So I think you could take all these guys and you can throw them in a the bag and mix them up and you can say, you know, I've got Jake from. No, I've got Jordan love. And I don't think there's a, a wrong answer there. I, I think that you can go either way with that. So Paul, if we kind of move on to the running back position, why don't, why don't we just, let's just go through the top 10. Sure. So why don't Let you me go me ahead and start? Yeah, okay. go ahead. You take let's it sit. off.
0: So number one, I got DeAndre Swift. Number two, I got J.K. Dobbins. Number three, Jonathan Taylor. Number four, Cam Akers. Number five, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Number six, AJ Dillon. Number seven, Anthony McFarlane. Number eight, Darrington Evans. Number nine, Eno Benjamin. Number 10, Zach Moss. And then after that, some, the next group or so is the Zach, uh, is jo- Joshua Kelly, Keyshawn Vaughn, Javon Leek, LaMichael P. Ryan, Rico Dowdle, DJ Dallas. Those are the guys that, you know, are that next five or six names after my top 10. How about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, looking at my top 10, I don't really think there's been a lot of movement for me. There's been two players that have made some moves. So I'll point those guys out to you. Um, number one, starting off same as you. I've got DeAndre Swift. I'm, I'm still not ready to leave that train. Uh, number two, I, there's been a little movement here. I actually have Clyde Edwards Hilaire at number two for me. I have number three. I have JK Dobbins. Number four, I have Jonathan Taylor. So those are still my top four, although JK Dobbins and Hilaire did exchange positions. I'll come back to that in one moment. Um, Cam Akers then comes up at number five. He ended up taking over, I think, that Zach Moss position. I'll address that in a moment. Um, and then I have Anthony McFarlane at number seven. I have Keyshawn Vaughn at number eight. Um, at number nine, I have a personal Paul Pertichese favorite, AJ Dillon. And number 10, I have Eno Benjamin from Arizona State. So just to kind of circle back quickly, so why J.K. Dobbins and the Edwards-Hilaire switch? Um, because somebody asked me very pointedly who I thought some of the best movers were in this class, and I kept kind of gravitating towards Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And if I think he's one of the best movers in the class, if I think he's one of the most um, skillful players at his position, um, I, I felt like even at number three, there could be an argument for me being too low. Especially when I think that he has, as I've said before, when we were on the podcast with Graham Barfield, I mean, we all agreed he is the best route runner in this class and we haven't seen the likes of him. I think since Christian McCaffrey in terms of being able to separate from defenders, I think that's a, as Paul, as you would say, a remarkable calling card, one in which a team can build kind of their identity off of from an offensive standpoint. I think he's a player that could be on the field very consistently. Um, But JK Dobbins is no slouch himself. Cam Akers, listen, this has been foreshadowed for, for a long time. I, I felt very, 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 um, Uncertain about the Zach Moss Cam Akers differentiation between the two, where I think Zach Moss is kind of like your rock solid running back who could do everything at the professional level you're going to kind of want. Um, I think the, the, the kind of the Cam Aper, Akers potential in terms of the range of problems that I think he'll be capable of solving once he develops fully. And, and I know that kind of sounds like I'm talking out of both ends of my mouth. It is to some degree, but then again, there is evidence in his movement. There's just cutting angles, ways he can lower his hips, the ways he can sink into his lower body, the type of power cuts that he can make that just show tremendous, tremendous understanding of his own physical capabilities and again if you don't understand what your body can do I don't think you're going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities on the field unless you understand what you're capable of and I think Cam Akers understands what he can do and I think he's only going to get better and last but not least AJ Dillon I, I think that when you look at AJ Dillon um, he was in the tier that he was in prior to this discussion but for me Um, I I think after just going back to his film and watching him, I think between the tackles, I think he's a better mover between the tackles than I gave him credit for. And I think that he has a legitimate calling card of being a player that a team can literally depend on, you know, to kind of burn out the clock. He has a role that's immediately set up for him at the next level. And I don't think he's going to have trouble settling into the NFL game.
0: Yeah, a lot of things you just – Discuss were, were spot on. So, uh, you know, Cam Akers, I don't have to get into him. I, I've been a big fan of him throughout the season. I do find it really interesting, note of there seems to be confusion as why there's this disconnect between Jonathan Taylor, the draft Twitter darling, and why the NFL doesn't look at him maybe in the same light as, you know, Saquon Barkley or Todd Gurley when they were coming out and I think the answer is very simple and I'm not sure why people are struggling there's talk today that Leonard Fournette could be on the trade block for as low as like a day three pick around four or round five pick that is nothing that's the reason why there is this disconnect Jonathan Taylor Looks is more of like a Leonard Fournette player than he is a Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey player. That's that's as simple as an explanation as really there is the versatility of the DeAndre Swift, maybe even Clyde Edwards-Helaire, maybe J.K. Dobbins, and then the of the guys who are already in the league who've made that transition: the McCaffrey, the Barkleys, you know, the Alvin Kamara's. Jonathan Taylor is not looked at as great of a runner as he is, and I am a fan. This is not knocking Jonathan Taylor, but it is explained that he is a little bit more scheme dependent. You need a good offensive line to open up those holes, and if the holes are open up, he's going to be he's going to do some serious damage. But the reason why is he has a lot of tread on those tires already, a lot. Three years of Wisconsin carrying an exorbitant amount of workload. That concerns NFL teams, the lack of receiving capabilities, creating for his own if it's behind a poor offensive line. I think those are all the reasons that Jonathan Taylor might be a second-round pick, early to mid second-round pick, and not in the conversation to be a, a locked first-round pick. Because I think teams are worried that he could have a good career, but what if he's more Leonard Fournette? What if he's a guy who doesn't you know create an offense that has versatility? is not effective coming out of the backfield. And I think that's why a team looks at DeAndre Swift and maybe even a team looks at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and they look at those guys and say, you know what, these guys bring a lot to our team. Their three down capabilities, their uniqueness to an offense, more than Jonathan Taylor. And I think it's a, I think that's the simple explanation. I, I truly believe that's the simple explanation. As as much of an athletic freak as Jonathan Taylor is, he's not Saquon Barkley. He's not Christian McCaffrey. I don't even think he's Ezekiel Elliott. The people who are Jonathan Taylor fans, I think that's the guy you probably you know want to comp him to and say, listen, Ezekiel Elliott showed that he. You know, was, was valuable enough and he could expand his pass catching role to the next level. I think that's what the, the Jonathan Taylor supporters want to point to. But I think the NFL might look at him a little bit more
1: of like a Leonard Fournette. And that's why he's being pushed down a little bit. <laughs> You know, Paul, I, I really and, – and listen, I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he's the best interior runner in this entire class. I don't I'm think great. it's close. I don't even think it's close. I think for everything anybody's going to say about the likes of DeAndre Swift or A.J. Dillon or anybody in between the tackles, I don't think there's a better mover in terms of interior run problems or better problem solver than Jonathan Taylor. That being said, though, I still believe in the very premise – of what we set out to do on this podcast when we kind of changed our lens to being problem-solver centric as opposed to athletic centric. Athletes don't play football. Football players play football. Players do. And in order to be the best player, you've got to be able to adapt and solve a variety of problems. I think the players at the top are very good at doing that. I think the players like DeAndre Swift, Edward Solaire, J.K. Dobbins, those are the guys that can do it. And I think that when you start kind of moving away from players that can solve a variety or who have shown that they can solve a variety, I think you have to always put a question mark or asterisk next to their name before you start, I want to say, um, you know, planting the flag. Yeah, I, I agree
0: with that completely. You know, and I think that's what, you know, if Cam Akers didn't play in such a poor surrounding cast. I think I'd even have him ahead of Jonathan Taylor and it's not a knock on Jonathan Taylor. I think the margin between these top five guys is really small. I've gone on record as saying they're all going to be taken by the end of round two. I don't know if there's going to be any in even in the first round. My latest projection has DeAndre Swift going in round one, but I'm not, I don't, I think that's far from a lock. So I think you're talking about these guys are all going to be taken probably within one round of each other, probably all within the second round. Or late first to late second. The margin between these guys is very thin. It kind of depends on what you want, but I think that's it. For me, the other guys I'll just hit on McFarlane and Darrington Evans, uh, Matt touched on a lot of the other guys. Those guys, I have them bunched there at seven and eight together. I just like their big playability. I I don't think they're guys that are gonna carry bell cow roles, but maybe they're guys that Touch the ball ten to twelve times a game. You know, maybe one of them is a compliment to a more power back. Their explosiveness is what I like about them, their burst,
1: their acceleration. Well, I, I'm by the way, the house. by the way, I'm on that Darrington Evans thing though. I am at twelve. I'm a little lower than you, but wow. Yeah. He I'm just, I'm he, just gonna say wow. And again, and I think I think one player, yeah.
0: We were, I was a little late to the party on him. Uh, you know, there's only so many guys, there's only so many guys that you know we get to and cover before the season, and then during the season, we were trying to keep up with those guys, add some new names to the mix. But then, you know, once we got to hire new (laughs) staff, we're gonna have to hire. (laughs) Once (laughs) he was brought to my attention, I watched him, I was like, okay, this guy, this guy's the goods, and you know, I think he's a guy who's gonna be around three, round four player. I think he get I think he goes ahead of McFarland. Uh, be interested in the to see you know where he ends up, but I like those guys' big play capabilities to really add a new weapon, a new wrinkle to an offense. So it's gonna be fun watching that. I think it's a deep running back class. I think he's got those five, and then I need some really intriguing players sp- that are gonna be sprinkled throughout rounds three through seven that are gonna be of intrigue in terms of deep dynasty leagues, taxi squads, stuff like that. So it's gonna be fun uh, to watch that. Man, let's 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 hit the tight end real quick before, and then we'll close out the wide receivers.
1: How how does your tight end rankings look at the moment? My tight end rankings have Harrison Bryant at number one. Um, at number two, I have Chase Claypool.
0: <laughs> so I, I
1: don't know. I mean, he's like he's he's going to be the interesting one. And I, I know there are people out there that are saying, oh, he should be number one. Uh, listen, after a lot of meditation on the, the subject and really kind of reining myself in, it's hard for me to put number one, the guy who really hasn't spent time blocking in line. I really I, – I'm a little hard-pressed to do that. But in terms of what he can do as a receiver relative to the types of problems he'll face at the position, he could be absolute a stick of dynamite. I mean, think Evan Ingram. I understand the ideas, but Evan Ingram can block. I mean, he may not be the most elite blocker in the NFL, but he certainly has the capacity and the experience to do so. So it's not exactly an apples-to-apples apples comparison. At number three, I've got Cole Komet. And number four, I've got what I consider the boom, the boom bust home run kind of player that I'm going for in the draft. And that's Albert Okawebanam. I like him at number four. Um, At number five, at number five, I've got Adam Troutman. And then at number six, I've got Harris. uh, They got Hunter Bryant. And at number seven, I got Devin Asiasi. uh, Eight, I got Thaddeus Moss. Nine, Bryson Hopkins. Ten is Colby Parkinson. And that's pretty much where I round out. Yeah. And
0: listen, I think our order is pretty different, but I I think that's this tight end class. I don't think there's much clarity in this tight end class. I have Adam Trapman at number one. I have Harrison Bryan at number two. I have Cole Komet at number three, Hunter Bryan at number four, Devin Asiasi at number five, Bryson Hopkins at number six, Albert Okuwebinom at number seven, Colby Parkinson at number eight. Thaddeus Moss number nine, and then Josiah Dagara from Cincinnati at number ten. If I was to put Chase Claypool there, I would. He would be in my top three. I haven't really given that enough thought yet to know whether he'd be ahead of Trapman at number one, or in between Trapman or Harrison Bryan, or after Bryan. He'd be. He'd be ahead of Cole Komet, his teammate there at Notre Dame. So he'd be in my top three for sure. Listen, I like I. When I watch Adam Trapman coming from a smaller level school, I see some Dallas Goddard in him. I Does he turn into that player? I don't know, but that's who I see. I think Harrison Bryant tested out a little bit, you know, less athletically than I think we thought, but I still think he's a really good player. He really gives his all in terms of blocking too. He's a guy that I think people thought he couldn't do it. I don't think that's, a, he's not, it's not a strength of his, but he's, he's, he's functional in it, which I think, you know, increases his value. You know, Cole Komet tested out as a better athlete than I thought. But again, I think he. I don't think any of these guys deserve to go in the top two rounds of the draft. I think Hunter Bryant was getting some Evan Ingram comp early on. I always thought that was off base. He's not nearly as athletic, not nearly as big. I see more Jordan Reed, you know, Trey Burden type player. I'm most intrigued, I think, with Devin Asiasi because I think agree. he offers the, the capacity to become a three down in line, you know, versatile, you know, two way tight end in this group. He has the body type for it. He hasn't been asked to do a ton of blocking, but I think it's something that he can grow into. Hopkins, very much an athletic guy, pass catcher. Wabanon we talked a lot about him. I've seen some Mike Geseki comps in terms of just his pure athletic ability and pass catching. I can see that. Kobe Parkinson's another guy. I, you can make the case he's similar to Mike Geseki. He's not going to be a guy asked to do much blocking, you know. And then that is Moss Dugar a little bit later on in the draft. I think those guys are, are functional. Solid blockers, solid pass catchers, good number two tight ends probably uh, for those guys. So that's kind of how my tight ends. Anything else worth discussing in the tight ends, Matt? Or no? You I mean, honestly, I,
1: honestly, I'm still struggling with this position even as I look at it. I mean, because there's there's just such a razor thin margin. I feel like between you know number one and number ten. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see that argument. So I think that's the real that's the real kind of like kind of kernel of knowledge, I think, to take away from this, which is none of us are drafting tight ends early in our devier w- Dynasty drafts. We're just not we did. It's just not there. We're just not sure. So, Paul, as we kind of transition maybe over the wide receivers, why don't you go ahead and take us through your top 10? And then maybe because the the, the wide receiver position is a little bit deeper, maybe we'll go out to 15.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, let, let's extend it out a little bit because this class is just, it's just crazy. Number one, I got Jerry Judy. Number two, CD Lamb. Number three, Henry Ruggs. Number four, T Higgins. Number five, Jalen Rager. Number six, Justin Jefferson. Number seven, LaVisca Chenault. Number eight, Brandon and Number nine, KJ Hamler. Number 10, Denzel Mims. Number 11, Brian Edwards. Number 12, Michael Pittman Jr. Number 13, Chase Claypool. Number 14, Devin Duvernay, and I have a number 15, Donovan Peoples Jones. I could just keep this list going for another 15 names of intrigue, like guys that are probably in many people's top 15s that I didn't even mention. Van Jefferson, Tyler Johnson, Antonio Gibson, Lynn Bowden, KJ Hill, Quintus Cephas, Colin Johnson, Antonio Gandy Golden. The list just keeps on going. You know, those are, those are my next guys on the list, but it just shows you how deep it is. For me, the biggest thing that I've adjusted is I bumped Henry Ruggs up over T. Higgins. I still love T. Higgins, the player. I'm still higher on him than than most, you know, but I constantly go back to that calling card. And if you're going to ask me what translates better, speed and explosiveness or winning at the catch point and being an average athlete, I I, I just – I'm going to lean the side of the electric at- athlete with the calling card of that speed that Henry Ruggs offers because it goes back to versatility and it goes back to, he can make a difference on the football field in a variety of ways. One, one, He he doesn't even need to have the ball in his hands and the tactical value that he brings to an offense changes your entire offense. Two, you can use him in a variety of other ways to get him acclimated to the NFL. Screen passes, jet sweeps, end the rounds, those touch passes. And then he still offers that big play threat. He can make things happen. So that's why he can win in a more variety of ways then I think T. Higgins is going to, at the NFL level, he's going to win at the catch point. And I think he can, and I think he'll be good. And for everybody that says Laquan Treadwell busts and this guy busts, well, then there's also guys like Kenny Galladay and Alshon Jeffrey you know, and other players like that who do translate. So I do believe T. Higgins is going to translate. But that was my biggest switch probably in the last month or so in terms of my wide receiver rankings. Everything else pretty much stayed status quo for me in terms of my top 15.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, in in terms of the players, in terms of their overall positions, in terms of their tiers, most of my guys stayed within their tier. Um, So, I mean, there are a couple of movements within the tier, which I'll highlight as we go through. But my top 15 are as follows. I've got number one, I've got Jerry Judy. Number two, I have Jalen Rieger. Three, I have CeeDee Lamb. Four, I have Brian edwards out at of at South Carolina, at number five, I have T Higgins at six. It's Justin Jefferson at number seven. It's Henry Ruggs at number eight. It's Chenault at number nine. I got KJ Hamler at number ten. I have Michael Pittman Jr. at number eleven. Is Denzel Mims at number twelve? Is Brandon Ayuk at number thirteen? Is Donovan Peoples Jones at number fourteen? Is Devin Duvernay and at number fifteen? Rounding out my top fifteen uh, is going to be Chase Claypool so right after that i have kj hill um he would be my next guy at number 16 um so you know overall i mean really the biggest move for me has been my heartthrob which is brian edwards moving a step back um and i think a lot of people are going to still you know kind of question me as to you know why brian edwards and i and i think that it really depends upon the lens that you look at these through i mean I understand the ideas of, you know, what can transfer, what doesn't transfer. And I, and I agree with all that. I understand those things. You know, I think when you look at players like Brian Edwards and T Higgins, I think the one thing that these guys do so well is they see the field very well. Not only do they see the field very well, but they have an uncanny ability to adapt their own physical capabilities to the things that they do see so they can perform and outperform other people on the field. I think that's where these guys really shine. I think you know when it comes to T. Higgins, it's his uncanny ability to time his leap, to use his length, to use his body to shield a defender and be able to win. I'm under no pre-misconception. I think the range of T. Higgins' performance could be anywhere from Equinemius St. Brown. He's a guy who I, I kind of thought of a lot of when I saw T. Higgins early on. But then I also saw glimpses of something between, you know, Equinemius St. Brown, Tyler Boyd, and then I heard comps of A.J. Green. I'm not ready to go there, but I think a slightly better version than Tyler Boyd. And Tyler Boyd ended up being a pretty good NFL player. You know, Brian Edwards, I still think, is the, is the best kept secret in this draft. I still think that Brian Edwards has a chance to play a very big, big particular role in when it comes to being a football player on the field. Um, so that was, those were the two players that I still kind of, you know, bang the desk for. Henry Ruggs, man. Listen, I have no problem with him being higher on many people's boards. I totally get it. You know, he's a guy that is outstanding in every fashion in terms of his physical capabilities and how he can change the game. I still think he's got some development. I think he's got to go to a team that's really going to harness and utilize him in order to get him acclimated so he can perform well. I think the guy that really kind of stood out to me as I look at my top 15 that really moved, uh, I I guess I got to say that, you know, the Pittman and Denzel Mims, You know, I, but I think that these were guys that I was hankering for them to make moves earlier in the year. It was a matter of seeing if they took that next step. And Denzel Mims this did that this year. I think he's exceptionally developmental. There's a lot more for him to learn, but he's already so gifted at what he does that I think that the sky's the limit for him. And I think Michael Pittman, I still think I'm criminally low on him at being number 10. I I think. Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims is just a testament to the depth of this class. And I think we should all take kind of kind of like, like we said, a kernel of knowledge away from this episode. This class has tremendous depth. And I think the fact that I've got two guys that I really like at 10 and 11, Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims, should say everything that you need to know about how good this class is at wide receiver. Yeah, I'll just piggyback off of that.
0: I have Mims at 10, Brian Edwards at 11, and Pittman at 12. And I think that's – I look at that and i was like, what is going on? Like any other draft class, those guys would all be in my top seven or top eight. Hands down. Like like yep. Brian Edwards and Michael Pittman, I think those guys are around two guys that can step in and immediately be contributors and and be a part of a very wide receiver rotation. Hands down, no questions asked. And they're 11 and 12 on my, on my wide receiver board. Like that's just, you know, that's, that just shows the testament. Like there's going to be guys. I know we mentioned this. I forget if it was with Bloom or who we are going to go to bed on Friday night of this week with three rounds in the books. And we are going to be like, I can't believe the depth of, of good wide receivers that are available out there. Those guys that we ran, I guarantee you, a guy like Diamond Peoples-Jones who came in at number 15 for me, there's a strong likelihood he's not drafted in the first three rounds. Very strong likelihood, even with his upside and ceiling. Guys and, like man. Tyler Johnson, who we are big fans of his route running, his play strength, stuff like that. Good chance he's he doesn't even sniff the first three rounds in a draft. Antonio Gandy Golden offers a lot from a smaller school. I'm not nearly as high on him as some people. I have him down at 23. Other people probably have him in their top 10, top 15. He's going to be on the board. You know, Gabriel Davis from UCF might be on the, you know, slim chance. He goes in round three, but probably there, you know, there's just so many guys. You mentioned KJ Hill. I'm a big KJ Hill fan. I've been a KJ Hill fan since July and August of last year. I thought he had a legitimate chance to go in the first three rounds most of the year. Then you start seeing how deep this wide receiver class. And it's like, okay, is 20 wide receivers. Is 16 wide receivers going to go in the first three rounds. There's a possibility, but I, I, don't, I'm not ready to, to definitely say that. So you're going to see really good names. And then there's so many guys that we didn't even really do full deep dives yet that i am been fascinated to, to kind of study, you know, even more where I see they go before. Like I do like Dynasty rookie rings, guys like Isaiah Coulter out of Rhode Island, you know, Tristan Jackson out of Syracuse. I've seen these guys a little bit. I've seen highlights. I've seen some film on them, but they're guys that weren't even in the scouting notebook that there's being talked that these guys are going fourth and fifth round. Like, that's pretty high in this draft class. That would mean they're going over guys that have had a lot more national attention and a lot more, you know, focus and eyes on it. But it just shows you there's diamonds in the rough. Even in a draft class this deep, it's a fascinating class. And it it, it just goes so far and so stretched out. But going back to what you said, Brian Edwards and Michael Pittman, to me, are two guys that I feel, I almost feel like, I'm doing something wrong by having them where I have them, but I don't know how to
1: get them any higher. <laughs> no, and I and I think that's a fair point. And I think to your point earlier about guys that'll be left behind, I mean like I literally have as like 17, 18, and 19 um A run of three players that I think are tr- uh, actually 17, 18, 19, 20, a run of four players that I think are really interesting It's Tyler Johnson, Colin Johnson, Juwan Jennings and Van Jefferson. I think those guys are fantastically interesting players who who I, I really wouldn't be even like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them didn't get a sort of like a, a Darius Slayton type of rise to fame if they land in the right spot. And I just think it's just a fantastically interesting class. I think there's a lot of skill within this class. I think these guys on some level, a lot of them, yes, not all of them are going to be superstars and all pro, you know, and pro bowlers. That's never the case. But I think a lot of these guys are going to be glue for a lot of depth charts when it comes to wide receiver. I think they're going to be really solid contributors at the next level. And I think that's a a testament to just how good this class is, Paul. So I'm going to ask you to kind of finish off with a a couple of questions. Um, If you can just do me a favor, I'm going to to give you a position. Tell me the one player that you would be, that you want to leave the draft with. And now we're not talking from a, a reality standpoint. We'll talk from a fantasy standpoint. Give me a player from this positional group that you want to leave with. You have to leave with. Okay, here we go. Quarterback. Jalen Hurts. Tight end. Devin Asiasi. I was going to say you can't pass. You can't pass. Okay, (laughs) Devin Asiasi. Okay. All right. Running back. Darrington Evans. Wide receiver. Brandon Ayuk. Okay. All right. So quarterback for me, guy that I have to leave with, for me, has got to be Jordan Love. Got to leave with him running backs for me for me I have to leave with him I would say I want Clyde Edwards Hilaire I don't think I'll get him so I'm gonna go down a notch and I'm gonna take Anthony McFarland at wide receiver I I want Brian Edwards so I'm gonna take Brian Edwards because I think I'll be able to leave with him and tight end I'm gonna still I'm gonna still live where where I can I, I'm gonna I want to I like the Devin Asiasi but I'm gonna still stick with you know Albert Okwabe but I'm I'm gonna I wanna leave with him. I wanna leave with him. Or Chase Claypool. If Chase Claypool ends up being that tight end, I wanna leave with Chase Claypool. In which case, I might take Chase Claypool at tight end over some of my players at wide receiver, as crazy as that sounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, and listen, when I was doing this, when you asked me the question, I was thinking more guys, like I wasn't even I wasn't even including anybody who I thought would be a first round rookie pick because I just think I just think it's too hard to say you, you need to leave with him because you don't know where these guys are going to go and you know if you don't have an early pick you're not going to be able to get the Andre Swift so like I was thinking more guys who were second third round guys that I am a fan of right now maybe some of these guys even fall to the fourth round if they don't have some draft capital you know or some of the tight ends are really going to fall far that I'd be like okay I believe in this guy it's the fifth round Devin Asiasi still there I'm taking him it's the third of the fourth round, Darrington Evans is still there, I'm taking him. Brandon Ayuk would probably have to be a second round guy for me, but I think he's going to, you know, draft Twitter and fans of Twitter don't seem to like him as much, so I think he could be a guy that could slip to the late part of second round, and I would definitely attack at the late part of round two. Jalen Hurts, again, it all depends on your quarterback settings, you know, super flex, he goes a lot higher, but in a one quarterback league, he might be sitting there somewhere, you know, in the late part of round two or middle of round three, and I'd be intrigued by him for that dual capability. But I I like exercises like this. I like talking Perudi's final rankings one more time with you because it's just fun to kind of you know put a little bit of a bow on these guys in terms of our evals, in terms of we don't know landing spots. Next time we talk about these guys, we're gonna we're gonna finally have destinations. We're gonna have, you know, landing spots, depth charts, immediate opportunity, scheme fits, then. This is why Matt and I don't do dynasty rookie rankings until after the draft. We do our draft eligible rankings based on film and traits and problem solving capabilities. We do our tiers. But there's no reason to do dynasty rookie rankings because dynasty rookie rankings will fluctuate and move. Matt, you have Cam Akers as your number five running back, correct? Correct he gets taken by the chiefs in the round two, he probably jumps to number one on your running back boards. And that's the whole premise of why we don't do dynasty rookie rankings now, because the margin of these guys is thin and landing spots, immediate opportunity are going to dramatically swing these results. You know? So that's, that's the premise because sometimes we get asked questions like, why don't you guys have, you know, fantasy rankings yet? And there's no reason to have fantasy rankings yet. Right now we have rankings based on their talent. And then once we know where, then we can start making actual fantasy oriented rankings. Until then, in my in my opinion, it's fun to do mock drafts. We do them here, we enjoy them. But I I'm doing my mock drafts just based on talent. And sometimes I'll skew to a position, sure. Like we know if it's one quarterback, quarterbacks aren't as valued as much, stuff like that. But everything right now is just based on our thoughts. But next time we talk, that'll start to change.
1: Well, it always goes back to it. Are you more scared of being in a room with a tiger that's in a cage or being in a room with a tiger that's not in a cage? Because the environment matters. And if if the tiger's in the cage and I'm in the room, I mean, honestly, I don't like either one of them. But if I'm in the room (laughs) with a tiger in the cage, I'm a hell of a lot more comfortable. So where these guys end up is going to really end up being a big thing. And Paul, just before we kind of close out this, this episode where we went through all these different rankings, it would be remiss not to at least talk a little bit about the projections notebook that you just recently released. And really, I mean, it is absolutely the best catnip for watching the NFL draft. It is the TV guide as we've called it many times. So Paul, as you kind of exit this show, I want to do two things. First, I want you to tell me one player in each position that you're hearing the buzz about the most that we're not thinking about and then close it out and then close it out with a description of what that draft notebook has to offer. So like quarterback position based on all your research, everything you've compiled, what player do you sense the NFL seems to be higher on than most people get credit for?
0: Yeah, I think Justin Herbert's going to go ahead of Tua. So I think that's the big one right now. The the whispers out there are that Herbert goes before Tua. The medicals of Tua have some teams scared off by him. So I think that's the big news at the quarterback situation right now. And then does Jordan Love fall out of round one or get taken in round one? I think now is a legitimate question due to Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay, Phillip Rivers going to the Colts. So I think those are the quarterback questions. At the running back, I think the the big thing is the NFL does not view Jonathan Taylor as RB one, and I'd be stunned if he is RB one. I think I think there's a legitimate chance he's the third or fourth running back that comes off the board. I think DeAndre Swift or and Clyde Edwards-Helaire have a legitimate chance to be the first two running backs off the board. I think that's the the buzz. I don't think we're gonna have more than six at most, maybe seven running backs. You know, go in the first three rounds, and and part of that's whether or not people uh list Antonio Gibson as a running back or a receiver. I think the big five go and then maybe Darrington Evans uh and a guy like you know Antonio Gibson could be the sixth and the seventh outside chance on AJ Dillon and Eno you know, Benjamin. At the wide receiver, I think we have four locks in round one Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs the third, and Justin Jefferson. And I think one more gets in, whether that one is Jalen Rager or Brandon Ayuk it's where I would kind of, you know, take my best guesses with an outside shot that's T Higgins or Denzel Mims in terms of the tight end group, Cole Komet, Adam Tratman, Harrison Bryan, and Albert Okawebenam to be the four Bryan and Albert Okuwebinum, to be the four names that come off the board potentially on day two. I think that's the buzz building there. Uh you know, I can go through we'll keep it to the skill players because that's mostly what we've been talking about. But guys, if you're a fan of that I have my my projections for every position. So I just talked about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers and tight ends. I have O-line, defensive end slash edge, defensive tackle slash D-line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safety, special team players. I have my projected top 32, my projected top 106, and my projected top 255. Last year, 25 out of 32 in round one, 86 out of the, uh, I think it was 104 last year in the first three rounds. And then I think it was 205 out of 254 picks in the entire draft. So you get those. It's very easy to read the projected tabs. It works horizontally by position. It's very easy to see. I have columns that just missed, guys who I think were just below the round one, guys that were just below the top three rounds, and then guys that I think could get drafted but just missed out on my project in the top 255. And then I have tabs for every position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, O-line, edge, all the way through all the defensive positions where I have their... How they win, snapshot of the player, some concerns in developmental areas, their height, their weight, any combine testing and measurements. And then it's ordered, not alphabetical, not in my rankings, but in the order of the way I expect it to go. I highlight it and keep it updated throughout the draft as I am live tweeting every pick as well. I highlight so you can go to any position on any moment of the draft and you can see who's the best available remaining based on what I was hearing everything going into the draft. It's just one notebook out of four you get for $9.99. It just launched last Saturday. I probably will do another 30 minutes of scouring news after we get off this podcast and continue to update it. I will update it until moments before the draft starts if I continue to hear things so it can try to be the most accurate representation of how draft night will play. The support since it came out over the weekend has been tremendous. Thank you for all the people who have purchased it, who have left positive comments, tweeted about it, subtweeted about it, retweeted about it. It all means tremendous to both Matt and I. And remember, it's only one of Notebook you get at a four for $9.99. You immediately get this. You immediately get the scouting Notebook, 90-player profiles or so on draft-eligible prospect, on draft prospects, another 20 to 25 on guys that didn't declare. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings, tiers, Debbie rankings, you our dynasty rookie rankings. And then late April, Matt drops the freshman notebook, which will have information on many of the top incoming freshmen to help you out in your Debbie leagues, get you a head, head start and learning about these guys for your dynasty leagues. Or if you're just a fan of college football and want to learn about the top incoming freshmen, that will have you covered. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.